Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. We are recording this on the eve of the NBA draft, and there is a lot to talk about, so... I bring in two of the best, Bobby Marks, the front office insider for the Vertical, and Tom Crean, the former head coach at Indiana. Uh, both these guys will be on set with us on Thursday. We are doing the uh, the second draft lottery live show. Uh, that begins at 6.30 Eastern time. You can watch that on thevertical.com. But before then, we go through all the news of this past week from Christas Porzingis being on the trade block, different trade scenarios, and of course, we look into the draft as well. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this pod, very easy way to support it. Head over to iTunes, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure we do this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. Joining me on the pod this week, guys that'll be in our studio show, the uh, Vertical NBA Draft Special, Thursday night, 6.30 Eastern time. You can check that out on thevertical.com. These two guys will be there. Bobby Marks, our front office insider, and Tom Crean, former uh, Big Ten Coach of the Year, joining us here on the set. Second year in a row, Tom, you're uh, you're with us here. You didn't get enough of us last time? I feel like a veteran. I feel like I'm with family. I love it. <laughs> All right, Bobby, I want to get to some draft stuff, uh, but I have to ask you right at the top. As a guy that was intimately involved in the recruitment of Dwight Howard, or at least the trying to get of Dwight Howard five years ago, what do you make of Dwight basically being pawned off on uh, the Charlotte Hornets today? Well, now it's all about um, salary. It's a, basically a salary dump there. Uh it's, it is amazing, Chris. Five years ago, we chased Dwight Howard for about six months, and we were probably going to give up the farm for him. Uh, you know, Brooke Lopez, multiple draft picks. Uh, him and Darren Williams were going to be the you know point guard and center of the future when we get into that uh, shiny new building in, in Brooklyn. And now, even both players, where they are uh, five or six years from now. I, I like the, the move for Charlotte, and I know – that you are taking on the Howard contract. It's $23 million for the next two years. Uh, I thought that that Miles Plumley contract was dead weight. Uh, 
Mm. I thought one or two things was going to happen. Plumlee was going to revert to the player he was back in uh, Phoenix four years ago, or he was going to be the the player he was in Milwaukee, kind of injured in and out of the lineup. And uh, where Charlotte was cap-wise, they're going to be over the cap for the next two years anyway. So um, it, it really didn't matter. Um, and in Atlanta, Travis Link, new general manager, has a different way of seeing things, and and that that's how I look at it. He told me uh, last week in the podcast he does not want long term contracts, and he also told me he hadn't talked to Dwight Howard since he got that job, which says to me that he, he didn't want him to be there anyway. It also says to me that Paul Millsap's days might be numbered in Atlanta too. They might be ready for that full scale rebuild with the with the Hawks. No, you're right. I mean, the Millsap number, we all know what the possibility is. I don't see him getting $35 million, Chris, where he is. Uh, and I and I am a big Paul Millsap fan because I think he can play multiple positions. But uh, do you want to give a player in his early 30s here? And there's a, a lot of players like this are not going to get blank checks this summer. I think it's going to be a rude awakening. I've talked about it uh, a lot during uh, the, the shows here. And, and I think where what Travis is trying to do is kind of prepare for the future, uh, try to get the books in order realizes where this team is right now. Well, as fun as it is to open up a podcast talking Hawks and Bucks, um, we'll, we'll turn to the draft here. And, you know, Tom, the biggest story this week has been Boston's decision to move back in the draft. Uh, they had number one. You heard a lot over the last few weeks and months about Markel Fultz being a consensus number one. Boston decided that it was more prudent for them to move back a couple slots and get a you know projected future top 10 pick. You've watched Fultz. Did it surprise you that Boston moved off him? Well, I don't know the inner workings of what made the decision, but in my opinion, no. I don't think there's anyone that is everything, right, that you look at it and say, okay, this is a guy that is going to do all these different things. Now, I do think it's a draft of, especially the early guys, that there's like some extraordinary things that they do. Like the best thing with Fultz is the way he creates his own shot. I mean, you got the upside is so huge, right? I mean, he was five foot nine as a high school sophomore. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're banking on so many things, but – but uh, the, the fact of the matter is he's got, a, he's got a lot of things to learn. He's got to get way better defensively. Uh, he wasn't in a great defense in college, and he was not a very good defender inside of it. I mean, so as much as you score on one end, you have that responsibility on the other end as well. So to me, with where Boston is and looking at it from the vantage point of not only a fan but as a coach and the steps, I mean, they don't have a lot of steps to make, but they've got a couple steps to make. And if they can make it with a veteran or they can make it with a a bigger wing type of player that can bring even more to them but can still make the outside shots and things of that nature and create more defensive versatility, makes a lot of sense. From a a purely talent perspective, you know, Fultz and Lonzo Ball are projected to go 1-2 at the top of the draft. Do do you think there's a gap between those two players in terms of talent? I think it's different talents. Mm -hmm. I think think Ball's vision and and the the ability that he has that – old proverbial sixth sense, right? I mean, that he can that he can use to find people and pass the ball. I think that's unique. I, I think you could go right on down that line. You could talk about the winning edge and the explosion of Josh Jackson. You could talk about the versatility uh, and the upside of Tatum. You could look at the speed and the, just the level of, of burst that De'Aaron Fox has. You can look at the ability that, that uh, Fultz has to score, shoot, create over people to create that shot at his age. And you could make a case for every one of them. But balls, the, 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 the passing is just at another level to me. Never recruited him, saw him play since he was a high school junior. He plays with tremendous edge, and he's got great passing ability. But you say all that, and at the same time, 
Um, he's got to improve not only his shot, but his shot selection, probably more than the shot. I mean, he's got to improve his defense. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a draft of flaws. It's a draft of um, real inconsistencies and real uh, lack of maturity in their games yet. You know that, that there's so there's a lot of there's a reason there's a lot of 19 year olds in the high end of this draft. Bobby, a criticism of Fultz during the year was that he's coming from a team that didn't have a lot of success. Now we we had this discussion last year with Ben Simmons, same kind of situation at LSU. Uh, as an executive, how big a variable, if at all, is it when a player that you're considering for number one is on a team that he couldn't sort of single handedly carry? Well, I think you have to look at a lot of things. Uh, the town around him. You remember they lost uh, Deontay Murray and Marquise Chris to the draft. Uh, the expect expectation level was that uh, Markel Fultz was going to play with these two players when he committed to uh, to Washington. Uh, him being hurt, there were, you know he had a sore knee for I think most of the season and didn't wind up playing you know post Valentine's Day. There, I think if you are looking at him, you know if he's at one or if he's at ten. Uh, you have to do your research on him as far as what were the circumstances at uh, at Washington. Deontay Murray's turned out to he could turn out to be a special player. He yeah. really, I think, we saw a lot of good flashes from him uh, in this playoff series with with the Spurs here. So the teams I talked to, Chris, yeah, it was a concern, but they would they felt that he was still the best prospect. Tom, what can you add to that about that Washington team and, and the supporting cast that Markel Fultz had around him, and and would it should it bother teams that he that Washington team struggled as much as it did? Well, Bobby's right in the sense of what they lost, right? So I mean, when you're losing two first rounders, including one lottery pick at that size, I mean, it's going to change that dynamic of your team. And and there's very very few teams in the country in college basketball that can withstand those type of hits, no matter who you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. So I think you look at it two ways. I think you got to look at the whole team aspect and how did he affect team basketball, and that's where you got to be. You you got to put some on him with the defense. I mean, he he, uh, he was not a strong defender. He wasn't nearly as aware. Uh, it wasn't like he made up uh, for a lot of things defensively that other guys weren't doing. But then you've really got to break down and look at the individual package because of how young he is. And and to me. That's what you're banking on, right? You're banking on the fact that he's had this rise, that he's had this growth spurt, that he's had this jump, that he's that he's gone from being somebody that wasn't thought of at all uh, early on in high school to this guy that now is con- probably going to be the number one pick. And you've got to look and say, okay, we're banking on this upside, right? We're banking on the fact that he's made these strides. We're banking on the fact that he's got a really high skill level. And then you got to trust your program you got to trust your development and you got to trust your system uh and that's where a gm and a coach has got to look at it's okay what do we really have to get done here in a short period of time to get him on this court defensively first and then offensively and i think if you can answer that then you feel good about him tom lonzo ball his talent has only been half the story of him the last couple of months his father and his antics have been the other half of the story um if you give put him in like the college or the high school ranks once again if LeVar Ball was talking like this as 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 a, this kid's kid was a high schooler, would that be an issue for you in recruiting a player like Lonzo? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it uh, – uh, I only saw him play a little bit, but you knew where, where LeVar Ball was, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even sitting in a high school gym in, in uh, Missouri State, right, in Springfield, Missouri, watching a, a, a holiday tournament, you knew where his dad was. So you've got, I, th- I give Steve Alford a ton of credit. I've never spoken with Steve about it, but I give Steve and that entire staff a ton of credit for dealing with that be- because, um, um, and, and, and 
you know, who can argue with the guy right now and what he's doing business-wise? So the bottom line to me is... You got a pair of those $500 sneakers yourself? No, I no. certainly don't. <laughs> I, I haven't had any sent to me, and I really don't see myself going to the Foot Locker, wherever they are, to be bought. But, but uh, um, to me... My biggest concern, there's three things for Alonzo Ball, all right? Is he really going to work and develop? He's got to take better shots. He's got to get way better in the ball screen game. Uh, When you come at him straight on, all right, in a regular closeout situation, the jumper's not as flawed, right, because he can see. He's got incredible vision. When you come at him from an angle or when you run through him or run across his body, it forces him to open up his body that much more. Now the lack of follow-through, now the lack of release, and where he shoots it from, now those become issues. Can you figure out how to make that better? Um, are you? Is he going to be a guy that will continue to deliver the ball to his teammates the way that he has? And will his father, and will, will that not become a factor in the family section, right? Because it's not only families and mothers and fathers, because obviously it's a young league, so there's going to be mothers and fathers, but now it's wives and girlfriends and significant others and, and, uh, and, and people that are a big part of the group, Right, nobody wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. So you hope that it just stays to the business side, and and uh, Lonzo continues again. I don't know either one of them, so I'm not being judgmental. I'm just looking at the talent of the of the kid, of the young man, and saying it is extraordinary. And you hope that he gets a chance to really bring that out in the pros. Bobby, paint the picture for me as an executive of how involved family members are, because I think there's an assumption that Levar Ball is going to be this kind of distraction. I will say this, I believe if he wound up in New York, it would be a disaster because the New York media would, every time there was a triangle offense botched, the New York media would run to LeVar Ball and get comment on it, and it would trickle down. But in general, I mean, how involved are family members, how big an issue are outspoken family members uh, to a team executive? Chris, two things. When you talk about um, Lonzo Ball or LeVar Ball, where is, from a getting drafted by the Lakers, Hometown kid, a lot of distractions there. Uh, I saw it was a little different. Stefan Marbury, I always had a a concern bringing a player who was from that area back home. Um, When we got Steph in uh, uh, 99, it was a train wreck. The family room was chaos. It really was, and it drove the other families. You know, there was things said. Um, wasn't happy with the other players he was playing with. Um, not Steph did not come out here, but his family members did. And I think that can cause a, if you don't nip that in the butt right from the beginning. And if you don't have strong management, that thing can spiral out of control here and you can cause a big rift within your locker room. So if it's, if it's Los Angeles and if it's magic and, and Rob Palinka, I'm sure there's already a plan in place as far as if we uh, if we draft Lonzo Ball as far as how we are going to manage things here because the one thing you don't want is is that the team is not playing well, he's playing well, and there's something said in the family room because that can that can that will not be a good thing. Tom, one of the hallmarks of I think of great NBA players is a willingness to learn and to adjust. I use Kawhi Leonard as an example coming out of San Diego State. They recognized in San Antonio that his shot was flawed. And Chip Englund took him under his wing, spent an entire year working with it, and now he's one of the more effective perimeter shooters in the NBA today, and it's what's made him an MVP candidate. Uh, when you look at, at Lonzo's shot, you know the, the angle it comes from, do you look at it as something that eventually is going to need to be either tinkered with or overhauled to make him a successful player, or do you think that he can survive with that sort of form in the NBA? 
Well, again, it, to me, it goes back. It, it's it's going to be understanding. You know, one of the things that makes him unique is the suddenness of his game. And sometimes that suddenness of that shot, you know, from the range that he shoots it from, because he's got legit deep, deep range. It goes in. Yeah. It does. It does. And, it, and again, the more I've watched it, and didn't coach against him, but the more I watched it, again, getting back to that closeout, when you come at him straight on, that doesn't affect him very much. You know, maybe it will with more NBA length, but when you come at him from an angle and now he's got to turn his body, he doesn't get squared up very well. I think everybody sees the the hitch or the ball coming across. As he gets stronger, I would think that's going to change some. Uh, to me, it's a matter of his feet. It's a matter of being squared up. It's a matter of, of really recognizing what good shots are, what they aren't. And I would say this, he's going to have to get a legit pull-up jumper floater game off the ball screen because he's he, he was not in a ton of ball screens. I mean, he's as far as shooting the ball, he's in ball screens and creating for others. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal at it. But I think it's going to be more like the, the style of play and, and where he's getting shots from, and eventually that form will grow from that. But again, the strength and, and, and the proper coach that doesn't try to overhaul it but tries to tweak it as you go and adjust to his body as it goes, I think that'll be the most beneficial way for him to develop. Bobby, how do you think Philadelphia approaches that and the shot in particular? Do they, you know, I mean, do they look to to overhaul it? Do they look to make changes to it? I mean, how do you approach a guy with sort of a funky-looking jump shot in, in moving forward? Well, I think that the teams have already done their homework on these players. I always said it's one thing to get drafted, but it's another thing. What do you do with that player when you when you get him in your own under your own roof as from a uh, from a developmental standpoint? I've seen so many players that had the talent on paper, either who we've drafted or have been drafted in a league, and it's never materialized into anything because either it's the player that's content as far as I've made it to the NBA, or maybe a team from a team perspective that the resources aren't there from from a player development standpoint. So I think the summer will be critical uh, for for him I, for playing summer league. Uh, getting an understanding about the uh, system here. And and I think that goes back to a lot where uh, I'm not a big fan of individual workouts, but I am a fan of when a player can get uh, there for a workout, even if they're going one-on-o, and you can get on a court with the coaching staff and you can maybe start digesting some of uh, the principles that coach is trying to do. You would have loved E.G. Lan, greatest one-on-o player oh, I've ever man. seen. Legend against the chair. I'll tell you, Chris, <laughs> I've seen some... Uh, draft workouts that were terrible and the player turned out to be an all-star and I've seen some uh I've seen some uh, and I, I hey Keith Van Horn turned out to be a great uh, not a great player a good player mm-hmm. we had him in, in New Jersey and, and got us to the finals and was a certainly a uh, respected player but I saw he shot like 40 or 50 from three I mean he it was the you know one on oh I mean he his range there and and that's why I think you kind of really you have to put things in perspective when uh, when you go through this process. Well, the story goes that Darko, uh, brilliant workout for Detroit, and that was a big overriding factor in there. So you're right, you kind of have to balance it out. Um, Tom, the, the, the third pick in, in, in that range seems like it's going to come down to a small forward there, with Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum in the mix for Boston sitting there at number three. Um, very different players, right? They're they're both elite at you know, scoring the ball, but very different types of players. They are, and really to me, the one at the end of the day that may have as much upside as any of them, and maybe more, is Jonathan Isaac. Okay. And he's not even in that conversation. Yeah. But to me, uh, with Jackson, and again, you, you look at some of these guys in the draft, If in talking to some of the teams that are picking even in the, in, the, in, the, in the single digit lottery that couldn't get guys in, there must be anywhere, and Bobby could probably attest to this, 
there must be 20 to 25 top five picks out there right now because because teams sitting in the single digits and some of the early numbers couldn't get guys in to work out. It's crazy to me, right, and how that works. But I say all that to say this. There's some real upside in so many of these guys that if you really can dive into how they're going to learn, how they want to work, uh, where it can be, you're, you're going to get it. Josh Jackson is a major winner. He's had an edge in him since I remember watching him in the summer. Uh, I saw him play a couple times during his during his high school, yeah, junior and senior year. Uh, we played him the first game of the year in Honolulu at Indiana, and he was good. He was somebody that we really had to account for. And by the middle to the end of the year, he would look like a different player. Right? His shot got better, his passing. I think that's maybe the most underrated skill of Jackson is his passing ability. Tatum, I think, is a much – I think I think uh, Mike K did a great job of of not making it go too fast for him, right, and, like, letting him develop. Like, they don't win the ACC tournament without the way that he played. Oh, he was great. Yeah, and I know he had some – he had to deal with stuff. That, he did a great job with Giles and, and, and with Tatum. Those guys really had to develop and overcome injuries and things of that nature. Tatum's literally just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. He comes from good bloodlines. I, I coached against his dad, and his dad played at St. Louis. His dad was the opposite of him. He was blue-collar, power forward, beat you up at the lane. And uh, and Jason's got some toughness in him. I think, I don't know, and this sounds kind of pol- you know on the right in the middle here, I don't know if they're going to go wrong with either guy because mm-hmm. each guy brings something different. But again, to me, I go back to Isaac. That upside of that guy, especially on the defensive end, is phenomenal. Bobby, when you're uh, when it's a close call and you're evaluating young players and and you know the body of work, you need more, you need more information. How much do you trust this guy? How much do you trust the head coach of the uh, the team? Be honest. I've heard from some. It, it's it's like embarrassing how little, right? Well. I don't want to offend Coach Cream. You won't. <laughs> listen, yeah, listen. Hey. I, 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 since March 16th, I can't get offended. <laughs> you know, you know. It's funny, Chris. Um, and I've during this process, I've uh, tried to advise some of these these college players and help them prepare for uh, the interview process here. And what I always told them was, uh, and I always asked them, "What is your relationship with your support staff?" at school, your athletic trainer and the people behind the scenes, the academic, uh, because those are a lot of the people who you kind of go to uh, as far as when a, a team calls to get intel. Um, the, coach, the coaches are honest, but there are, hey, I've run into certain coaches that, you know, maybe push it a little bit as far as, I don't want to say lie, but give that player the extra benefit of the doubt. And then when you draft them, you figure, you know, you're like, whoa, this is not what we were told about. Um, so I, but there is a, there has to be a, tr- I think there has to be a trusted level from, uh, if it's your GM or your, uh, your personnel guys for the, the college coach that you're, um, that you're dealing with. And, um, but that was always my advice to, um, when I'm talking to these, these college prospects, I said, the two people who are most important are, uh, the athletic trainer, because he's with you all the time. And the person who picks you up at the airport on your, on your, um, your visit, from a team because that person is either an intern or uh, somebody, uh, a manager, a basketball op- operations. That was assistant. you at one point. It was. And you know what would happen, Chris? I would spend many nights at Newark Airport and I would pick up a lot of players. And the next morning, if it was Willis Reed or John Calipari or Rod Thorne, they would say, how was that player when you picked up? And I would say, Rod, you know, he's not happy to be here. 
or he hey he was great we talked the whole ride mm-hmm. he had a great personality and that's what i that's what i uh you know I, that's what i would tell a jonathan isaacs or a jason tatum or tony bradley players like that you know have some respect for the person that's picking you up and, and make sure you treat those people behind the scenes with uh with class tom you've uh go ahead well i was going to add i was going to add the way i view it and then what i think mm-hmm. in some other areas the way i view it is First off, you want the teams to keep coming back to you. If you want to have some long-lasting success in this business, you're going to need to have pros. You want them to keep coming back. But what I've learned over a period of time is is two things. One, I'll never lie. Or I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to I'm not going to make up a story about somebody, but I'm not going to tell everybody everything. And that's just the bottom line because there's different levels of relationships and there's different levels of trust. Now what I have done for a long time now is once they go somewhere, Right now, I will get a hold of the coach or the GM. I've had guys drafted from from me, from us, I should say, not me, but from us, where if I didn't make the call to the general manager, I never heard from him over a couple of years. And then one 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 person told me one time, said, man, I never call the head coach. You can't trust him. I didn't take that bad because because I didn't feel like that, but I got it, right? And I do think what happens is there's there's such a drive to get your guys drafted that it's very, very easy to start singing Kumbaya mm-hmm. and, and trying to paint the rose-colored glasses. So I get it from both levels. I heard this from a, from a scouting director in the major leagues because I learned a lot about baseball. My son is a baseball player and just got picked by the White Sox last week in, in the 35th round. And so we learned so much over a period of time. And this really hit me. A scouting director said they put over double the amount of uh, – what they hear from an opposing coach and what they hear from somebody that has has a working knowledge of this player or this group of players, they double the amount of of how much it's worth to them versus what they hear from the coach. And that's in baseball, right? So like I get it. And I think it's really, really important that you that you that you have a relationship with your players to the point where they they're not surprised by something you said. Because, boy, that not only can break down the relationship with the player, that can break down your future recruiting. And that you don't want that to happen. And, and so that would be the downside then sure. of, of telling the full truth to some some executive there. Well, again. The fear of maybe getting out to, you know, th- that information sure. being spread around. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you, you can tell. Because what you don't realize when it's going on, there's a lot of games within the game, mm-hmm. right? Especially during the season. And people misconstrue. Or they go and they say things. I mean, and obviously there's enough indications now of things that have happened in the NBA over the years of things that get written down and put into email and all of a sudden there they are, right? Like you have to be careful, but but there's so many moving pieces that are involved in this, right? There's other teams, there's other schools, there's agents, right? So you have to be, I don't want to say guarded, but you got to be, you got to be on stage with this. Like you got to make sure that you're not... Uh, you got to have your awareness level, but again, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I, I would rather be guilty of telling too much than not enough because I want the player to be successful, right? Like you want them to be successful. If the player, if there's enough bad issues with the player, they're going to figure it out. They don't need you to figure it out. If he's that bad, if he's that bad, I haven't had that. But I mean, the bottom line is, you want to say, okay, this is what they do really well. This is where they've got to get better. These are the strides they've made. These are the strides we're making now. This is what I think has to happen down the road. And you try to do it in as tactful and as real a possible way so that everybody wins. Bobby, how deep does the research go for these guys? Like if you're picking inside the lottery, 
I mean, how is it like private investigator level, um, dig as deep as you can? Uh, how deep does it go? It's it, when in, in New Jersey, we had a private investigator and it's, it cost a lot of money to do it, but it was worth it because I think that the, your scouting director and your scouts can only get so far, uh, from a background that, uh, we had somebody, uh, you know, if we gave 10 let's say 10 prospects and they would, they would spend a month as far as digging up. I mean, everything. If you had a speeding ticket, we knew about, um, who your family was, you could do background on, on the family members. And, um, I think it's, I think it's well worth it. It is a, a cost, but Hey, remember the person you draft the first year, they're going to be making what if it's a lottery pick six, $7 million. So, uh, it's, it's a worthwhile uh, experience, but but going back to the scouts, I mean, they do as good as a job, but they can only get you so far. Um, and I think that just getting over the hump when you when you get that background is important. We um, oh good, yes. Well, I was going to add this to what what Bobby said. Now that's one group that never comes. As far as I've been a head coach eighteen years, never met the private investigator. But I go back to two thousand and thirteen. We had Cody Zeller. Think you have it. Well, at least I think I put it that way. Put it that way. Great point. Uh, Cody Zeller, Victor Aladipo, Christian Watford, that group. I'd heard from three different people, all right, in Indiana, in Bloomington, that there were three different investigators that were in town at this in this one little watershed, 48, 72 hours, that had met with those different people. I never saw them, but like, that's what you had, and mm-hmm. and 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 they were three different people, right? They were three different people, three different investigators. So, I, I think what Bobby said is so. I don't think we have any idea how deep it goes as, as people that even on the inside, like we think we are, we're not even close to what they know. You know, Chris, in 95, when I started with the Nets as an intern, we had a player, I'm not going to mention a player. <laughs> uh, and I had, uh, I was putting the, the books together and I had gotten the, the intel on this player. And it was like, it was like, welcome to the NBA as far as some of the stuff that was in there. And I said, how could somebody find out? I mean, it was most, the most detailed report that I had ever seen that really exposed that player and, and basically got him off our board. It, re- it really red flagged them. And I don't think we would have been able to get that information if we hadn't hired that, uh, that, that private eye to do that. Incredible. It is. I, I, my brother-in-law's, you know, Jim was with the 49ers, John's with the Ravens. I'd have the privilege or, I mean, I guess the secrecy. I had to be in a locked room with no n- nobody around to look at their books, right? Look at their draft books. The level of intel at the NFL level is unreal so i can only imagine what it's like in basketball and those guys would never talk to our team about uh what was going on with this player or that player i mean we're talking about going back into the eighth grade seventh grade but i would always have them talk about you have no idea how far back people are going because of the business level this is at. i think that hits people that what level of business like bobby said when they start talking about that kind of money kids they can't imagine that right they know the number but they don't know how important it is to get to that number based on what the teams are willing to do to, to pay it and how far they'll go to find out if it's worth it. No, you're right. And, that, and that's the one thing I wish – I don't think the, the Players Association would ever approve this, but and maybe instead of the teams doing it themselves, maybe have NBA security and, ha- and have a library like they do the medical stuff at the Combine and have a – where if I want to call about a player X – I can, the resources are there. Uh, I think the PA would certainly have a hard time with that. Um, but I, I think either MLB or even, even maybe the NFL, where they rely more on team, the NFL team security when you're going, when you're really digging deep on guys. 
Tom probably played racquetball with your private investigator at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know it. He's at the health club. Just uh, yeah. This guy's asking him, about, yeah, what's, oh, you keep wanting to talk about this guy? All right, there, whatever. Um, uh, this draft, top heavy in point guards, at least off the top. Three could go inside the top five, and De'Aaron Fox is probably the third point guard uh, in that mix. Could go either four or five, I think, to Phoenix. Uh, won't get past Sacramento, I don't believe, uh, at that five spot. I, I like Fox's game. I love what he did to Lonzo Ball in the tournament um, just this past March. Uh, but I look at his frame, Tom, and he's not a big guy, and I wonder how that frame holds up to the NBA. What's your, your thoughts on Fox? Well, he's he's the he's the classic wiry strong because mm-hmm. he's got such a burst. I mean, there's an explosiveness of uh, to him. And watching him literally from his 10th grade year, summer before his 10th grade year on, he has always been a, a, a player that played with an edge. I mean, he could get to the rim at will. He, could, he has got great wiggle. You know, some people have really good wiggle until you hit them, right? And then all of a sudden, they're not going anywhere when they get bumped. That doesn't affect Fox. I mean, Fox will go through that. So I don't know his exact weight. I don't know what he benches in the, in the weight room, but I know that he really does bring a level of edge to that. I think where he's got to get a lot better awareness defensively, uh, without question, you know, staying locked in to the ball, the recovery part of it, like in the ball screen or the help and recovery part of it. And then he's got to get a legit, consistent jump shot. You know, whether it's going to be, I mean, I would think he's, he, if you trap him in a ball screen game, he's going to split that. But if you go under him, he's going to have to make some shots. I'm not sure he has the great floater game yet. He's going to have to get a legit NBA three-point shot, catch and shoot, and and certainly one off the dribble. And then I think he takes the next step. But that that level of uh, edge and burst that he plays with is unique. Bobby, what do you think of that jump shot? Because he shot about 25% from three mm-hmm. um, his last first year at, at Kentucky. I mean, you look at it, do you see something that is, is, is workable or fixable, or is that going to be a long-term problem? If Michael Kidd-Gilchrist can fix his jump shot, Bring in Mark Price. <laughs> That's right. Darren Fox can, uh, can fix that. And that goes back to getting him under your roof and figure out what's the, what's his best strength. And, and But it's all going to be about this summer, Chris, for these uh, for these players. It starts once you get drafted. I always said, once you get drafted, the clock starts for next year's draft. And there's going to be another 30 players coming uh, coming through here. And, and you're right. I mean, when you talked about the, this is a great draft of point guards. I think you could have seven or eight here and uh, for for teams that lack and are going to have a hard time getting finding one in free agency because of the cost. This is going to be the draft that you could pay, maybe you know, possibly get your point guard of the future. I think guys like Isaiah Thomas, Kemba Walker, Walsh shot 33% as a freshman in college, but Walker, Isaiah Thomas, guys like that, they weren't really good shooters maybe early on in college, and they Walsh got better. Walsh shot 17% but, as a pro at one point. Yeah, like his, yeah. yeah but I mean, it's um, – but but his burst is at, at a whole other planet, yeah. I think. So I'm not sure Fox is there, but, but there's no question it's going to be – there's some technique to it because he doesn't extend like he's going to need to. He, he's very, very inconsistent on holding his follow-through. And, and you know, we use the term short arm. He short arm shots, especially around the rim. Uh, he's a great finisher when he's getting all the way to the basket. He can duck. He's not a great finisher in the sense of scoring over the contact. But he's going to have to get the extension right, and it's going to be on the perimeter, and it's going to be around the basket. And the extension and the follow-through is going to be huge for him. Bobby, if you're Phoenix and you're sitting there with two well-paid point guards on your roster already, Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight, is Fox the type of player – 
that you would jump on? Is, is he the caliber of prospect you would jump on and then figure out what to do with Knight and Bledsoe later? He is because I don't think Bledsoe or Knight are point guards, Chris. I think they're scoring guards. I think Fox can be uh, the, the perfect point guard in, in your system. And I think that goes down to uh, almost the best of both worlds, need and uh, best available there. When uh, if, if it holds form and it's Fultz, Ball, and let's say Tatum, uh, Phoenix is going to have an interesting choice yeah. between uh, between Jackson and uh, Fox. I mean, it's hard to pass on wings, though. That That's the only thing that you don't want to regret because teams are always looking for wings, how this league is going right now. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping it with the point guards, one of the guys that has a lot of talent but some questionable character issues is Dennis Smith from NC State. And I know the Knicks have looked at him at number eight. Uh, I read something about Wednesday, him showing up late for the media availability of oversleeping uh, or something along those lines. Tom, when you look at Dennis Smith and and his upside there, it's clear he's a very talented kid, but how concerned would you be about some of the stuff that went on last year at NC State? Well, I don't know him. In, in full disclosure, we never recruited him. I've watched them play for a while, but I, I, I don't know him. Mm-hmm. So I could never I, – I would not want to go into that. I thought that – I don't think he got better as the season went on. And I thought um, – in my opinion, now I don't think you know the change in coaching and and as it started to drip and or started to drop and and it became clear that Mark wasn't going to be back. I, I thought he could have done a lot better. I thought he could have played a lot better. His numbers really went down at the end of the year. Um, he became a ball stopper too much. He became a guy that uh, he went nowhere with his jab. He didn't. My, my biggest thing there is people are going to assess him. Okay, does he have the explosion that he's got to have to get by people? Does he have uh, the ability to play through the contact? Uh, is he going to become a legit uh, shot maker, right? A, a legit NBA shot maker? Because defense early on is not going to get him on the floor. And, right, it, to stay on the floor, he's going to have to guard somebody. He's going to have to be a, a good team defender, good individual defender at the, with the people he's going to have to guard. That would concern me more, and then, and then people can dive into the personal part of it. But... Um, Maybe, and after going through with guys that have had really tough injuries and surgeries, and they're never quite where they need to be that first year back, even though you look at them and say, okay, they were good, but then all of a sudden you get them the next year and you say, oh, wow, they're way better because they're stronger. Maybe that's going to happen for him, giving him the benefit of the doubt. But um, there's some risk there on a guy that size that, that uh, does not make people better like he should. He did do a better job of that in high school. Not so good of that job of that last year. Bobby, how much would that concern you with a guy that doesn't get better as his college season goes on? It would concern me a lot. In in late uh, December, I got an opportunity to spend some time with the University of Miami coaches, and they were it was their their prep week getting to play uh, NC State. Uh, it was their first. Um, uh, conference game and to sit in the room and watch Dennis Smith Jr. I said, this guy is explosive. And how do you devise a game plan around him to stop him? And, and Miami wound up beating him pretty good. And from where he was in late December to where he finished in, in March, I didn't see that him taking that next step as uh, as coach said. And is it because of the coaching situation there? Was it did he develop some bad habits? I think you all, you have to take that all into consideration. So yeah, that that would be a concern from for me. I think the physical skills are there. Where does it translate to to the next level? And what happens if you put him on all these teams that are picking in the top fourteen, except for uh, Boston? Or you know, there's a reason why you're there. So you you put him on a team that you know has maybe not from a talent level. 
what happens during the year if maybe some of the same things repeat itself. And he and he he got a lot of basket. I mean, he got a lot of points off the foul line. I mean, he was in the top five in the ACC and and I believe free throw attempts. But that last month of the season, I mean, the the, the three point percentage was under thirty. I think he averaged seventeen points. Uh, he takes tough shots, and I'm not. That's not going to fly in the NBA. I mean, it's it's the the, the players that are going to play the best at the end of the day over this next year. You know, especially as young as they are, because there's so many guys that takes some tough shots, right? Are they going to really get into the context of what the offense is? Are they going to let the offense be a big part of their success? Because they're not going to go in there and create those type of shots in the NBA. The, the, the guys that are taking the tough shots are not going to get major minutes, right? Everybody wants to win. They want to get better. And I think Smith epitomizes too much of that. I don't think he's going to get fouled in the pros like he got fouled in college. I just don't think it's going to work out that way. Bobby, the Knicks have paralyzed New York with their Kristaps Porzingis trade rumors over the last 24 hours, but they're on the lookout for a lead guard, and they consistently, at least according to these players, ha- have talked about playing the triangle offense, and they're they're looking for guys that fit the triangle offense. I mean, is there a danger to drafting a player that might fit into the system that you're playing right now who may not be, in, in certain cases, the most t- uh, talented guy on the board? No, there is, and that's it all comes down to are they going to take the best available or are they going to take the, the point guard that's still left on the board because it's it's a need and I think that's where you get in a lot of trouble Chris in the lottery I can understand it maybe when you're in, in the 20s and there's not much separation there um, but to try to force something that maybe isn't um, that that's setting yourself up and if you miss out if you miss out on this draft this year it is going to set you back because I just think there's there is so little separation from some of these top you know the top ten top twelve here. I give you an example: Donovan Mitchell from Louisville, who I think is a heck of a player. Is a you know combo guard, a one two, but it's under a little bit undersized, six three. You know, pretty well put together. You know, he's at you know I see the mocks. He's twelve thirteen. He might be better than Dennis Smith Jr. or some of these other players that are up there. Donovan Mitchell can score. There's no doubt about it. We had trouble guarding him uh, on New Year's uh, Eve, but he's uh, he's another guy. He's a tough shot taker, right? And I, I, he makes some tough ones, but he but he takes more than he makes in the sense of the tough ones. And and I've talked to some people that have had him in recently for their workouts, and it sounds like he's shooting the ball really well. But he's shooting the ball with no defense, right? He's going by the chair and he's shooting over the broom, right? So I mean, it's just you love know, those guys, yeah, love those guys. yeah. <laughs> you don't know, and and so. Um, um, you just don't know on that on that sense yet. But he is a and and Donovan is a guy that he's an athletic guy, plays like an athlete. He's going to have to become a more uh, refined finisher. You know, play more as a basketball player rather than just an athlete. Now, again, playing for Rick, I mean, he plays incredibly hard. There's an intensity to him. Um, they take some chances defensively, which plays into his hands because I think people are banking on there. He could be a tremendous defender. He was a really good point guard. Uh, in the summertime in high school in his AAU teams. I mean, and, and you just couldn't stay in front of him. But, you know, is he going to be Demetrius Jackson, right? Like, I mean, that they have the same type of body. Uh, and maybe Donovan is a little bit more of the scoring guard mindset. But but I don't know if that's the answer, right? And so to me, and, and going back to the Knicks, who's the, who's the guy that brings the most efficiency to their team next year? Not maybe the most flair, not maybe the most... Uh, flamboyance, and I might be frank, right? I mean, that, if he comes into the NBA and and plays, you know, again, the level of competition is really going to change for him, obviously, just from what I've seen on film. But if he comes in and plays with the speed, the quickness, 
He's got uh, separation. He delivers the ball. He's got a good-looking shot. If he comes in and he really focuses on being efficient, then a kid like that could come in and play in the triangle or really any offense you put him in. You know, I mentioned uh, earlier Jackson and Tatum, and you quickly pivoted mm-hmm. uh, to Jonathan Isaac as well. And that is a guy whose whose name continues to emerge during these workouts and as teams really start to dig into them. What is it about Isaac that, that you think teams are looking at and seeing real pro potential? Oh, the explosiveness. Like, he's got a legit baseline game, right? He can, he can maneuver. You know, when, the, the wings, to me, again, my opinion is you've got to be able, you know, the shooting – uh, the ball handling, the driving, the passing, those are all really, really important. Okay, if any of those type of things are not there all the way yet, you got to be able to do something on the baseline. Whether you cut, you know, in the NBA it becomes the corner three, right? But can you cut? Can you, can you offensive rebound? Can you play underneath the board? Uh, can you maneuver your body? I, I think he's got that. I mean, he's young. Uh, I thought they did a great job with him. He was one of those guys when you watched him in high school. Uh, tremendous seriousness when he played, very quiet, but very focused. Uh, just it could explode. And it, literally, he's one of those guys, like he uncoils, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the length is there. It's not crazy length, but you mix you mix the length and you mix the explosiveness. And then to me, I think I think his shot needs to get better. Like it's, it's a little low. Uh, it's not as quick released. I think that'll come. But I think what for his size, he is surprising to me how much ground he covers defensively. Like he's one of those guys, help, recover, make another play. He's not a one-effort guy defensively. Like to me, he epitomizes at the, at the wing position the short, short space quickness. And he, can, he can really do a multitude of things, and then he can close out long. And I, all those things are going to be the things that are going to get a guy on the court in February and March when somebody's trying to fight for a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Before we get out of here um... – you know, there's so this is a pretty good draft, and there seems to be a pretty good depth in this draft. Teams trying to get into it, into that first round. Give me the player for both of you that's maybe the most intriguing, somebody we haven't mentioned before, but the guy that you're most fascinated to see where he goes, and you're thinking a lot of. Well, I'm think I think Harry Giles, I, and I think because of high school Harry Giles was a lottery pick, whew, pretty good player. Um, I think he could be the guy that maybe gets drafted in the late teens, twenties. Uh, I mean, it all comes down to. Where he is from a health standpoint, I think he saw some glimpse at Duke uh, this, this previous year, but he's still a young, uh, young player. Uh, another one of these one and dones, and uh, but it's a work in it's a, a work in progress. If you're if you're drafting him, you're not expecting him to be part of your rotation. You're probably going to see him more down in the D League or the G League now, <laughs> um, and work work from there. But I'm in, I'm intrigued from here. I think if you did your research um, with the doctors. Uh, and have a good comfort level. I think two years from now, I think he could be a really good player. I don't disagree with him. I think uh, w- w- he came back from the injury this year, and he played different than what he played in high school. I mean, he had to fit in, and I think uh, he showed that explosiveness. Um, he's quick, you know, all those type of things. But in, for my own opinion, I'm going to go with biased and unbiased. My biased one is OG Ananobi. And because we had him, and there, he's coming off the injury, but the old inch for inch, pound for pound, I, I don't think there's anybody that that's as good as he is potentially defensively in that draft. And I think he's a much better shooter than even at times what his percentages were like with us, right? And I think he's going to get better and better with that, and he's going to develop that range. And defensively, once he gets healthy, he could be at another place. But for me, 
the one guy that's got maybe is 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 much upside based on what he's done over the last couple of years from where he was as a high school junior to where he was as a college freshman is Zach Collins. Somebody, I mean, he could go in the top six, seven, not surprise me at all. If he falls anywhere out of 9, 10, 11, 12, I mean, he's going to be, I wouldn't call it a steal because there's other really good guys. Maybe marketing goes ahead of him, and rightfully so because he can shoot it so well. Zach Collins has got a poise that's really, really unique for a guy that's that young. And where he was as a junior back at Bishop Gorman High School going against Steven Zimmerman to where he was at the end of the year with Gonzaga was really, really strong. I mean, you got to feel good, whoever's drafting him, if you've done your homework on that level of upside that's in him for the next couple of years. We'll see where he goes. Thursday night, 6.30 Eastern time. We're on the air uh, at TheVertical.com. Tom, Bobby, uh, Mike Schmitz from Draft Express will be in studio. Woj and John Gavoni will be on site at the Barclays Center. We'll be on throughout the first round, maybe even a little bit longer. Uh, Looking forward to that. Guys, thanks for uh, coming and doing the podcast the day before. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Bobby Marks and Tom Crean for coming in to do the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.